We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Is that fair criticism not being in your shoes? Me? Me being criticized? No. You said I got criticized for something, right? I don't believe that. Not me. I don't care. I don't care at all. Um, I mean, we're in the NBA Finals. How much more picking up teammates you want to do? To the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, June 5th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. We have been relegated to the B studio today. So if there's a little bit of extra uh, ambient noise, we don't have quite the, the audio padding that we do in our actual studio. Um, but it's a little sunnier in here. There's actually a window there's in a- this one. There is ventilation in this room. Right. Um, so this will probably be the first time in a while that I don't have to take a break to remove an article of clothing. The conditions are humane. Yeah. I, this morning when I, before <laughs> I knew we'd be in the studio, when I woke up this morning, I was getting dressed. I planned my my outfit around knowing that I was going to be really, really warm for about an hour and a half this afternoon. Um, and, I, and I think I underdressed on purpose. But anyway. 
Uh, a lot to get to. We'll recap game two. We'll preview game three, which is now tomorrow, Wednesday night, um, as a series, as a series, I should say, shifts back to Cleveland. But first, happy 43rd birthday to former Miami Heat great Zajunas Ogauskas, two-time NBA All-Star, one-time Eastern Conference Player of the Week. That seems extremely low. Uh, and he's the <laughs> holder of the 18th best offensive rebound percentage in NBA history. So, are you? How are you a two-time All Star, but yet have only won Eastern Conference Player of the Week once? I think a lot of that comes with playing with LeBron. I mean, I, uh, LeBron I think, basically right. won every Eastern Conference Player of the Week and Player of the Month award for about 14 straight years. But he actually was an All Star before LeBron got there. He was an All Star in '03. So LeBron joined a team that already had an All Star. Was not, he sh- not the first time we've seen that. Was, <laughs> was he shooting threes at all back? I think he was, wasn't he? Mm, I don't Gauskas? know. I, yeah, I always I, think of him as a shooter first. Okay. Offensive rebounder second. <laughs> he was actually lower on the career offensive rebounding percentage list than Eric Dampier, by the way. I just want to make sure that that's clear. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Big Z was not really shooting threes. He took... 0809. He took fewer than 10 in every year until 0809. <laughs> So, yeah, as a 33-year-old, he finally started stepping out and was shooting them pretty well. 42% on an attempt every other game for two years. So, Right, which, I mean, for that time, was pretty wild. Like, for a big Z to be taking a combined, what, 52 threes over the course of two seasons, and then to come to Miami, play 72 games, and take one three on a team that, like, extremely desperately needed three-point shooting and had, I mean, that team had, like, seven centers on it. Yeah, if they he came had, in, go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say, I mean, if he came into the league like five, ten years later, he might have been shooting threes. Like, mm-hmm. although you could say that about almost any, yeah, big man. Pretty much, yeah. Well, that that first Heat team had Joel Anthony, Eric Dampier, Big Z, Jamal McGlure, and Dexter Ooh. Pittman. These guys are all listed as centers. That's not even including Chris Bosh, Udonis Haslam, and Jawan Howard, who are all listed as power forwards and are definitely part-time centers at the very minimum. So that team had eight centers. That's, I mean, it's only two more centers than the Warriors have. True. Why do the Warriors have so many centers? Uh, I, they're lucky they're playing the Cavs because I think that depth would come back to bite them and almost did come back to bite them against Houston, especially losing McCaw, you know, at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah, see, this is what happens <laughs> when we record in the studio. We have phones, we have phones ringing um let's just get into game two right away uh i i said you know in the office yesterday and i think most people who watched game one probably expected game two to go about like it did um you know i I thought the Cavs came out with probably more energy than i expected but it was it was clear from from the first quarter that lebron didn't quite have that like eighth gear that he had in game one and that we've seen you know kind of on and off throughout his career like it was a, a very good lebron game he barely missed a triple double uh, probably his best passing game, you know, in a, in a while. Um, but he didn't quite, he wasn't quite able to get to the basket as easily. He missed some some layups that he usually makes, a couple lefty finishes that he kind of blew. Yeah. Um, and just looked a little a little less decisive than we saw uh, in game one. But, I mean, I think that's pretty understandable, all things considered. I mean, as we said in our last pod, like when you lose like they did in game one and you're so close to getting, you know, what, what kind of to a lot of people seem like a pretty impossible win, to lose it like that, it's really, really hard to match that effort in game two, especially when Steph Curry uh, sets the record for most made threes in a finals game. 
Yeah, he did. He missed. There were some kind of like he was playing a little bit of bully ball um, at some point, but he, he missed a few that I thought he probably should have made. But he still ended up 10 for 20 on the day um, and they got blown out. So I don't think it would have made too much of a difference. Um, they were respectable, like keeping the game in balance until I mean, they kind of went down. They were once halftime came around. It wasn't looking great. They were down by 11 um, and then things really started to pull away um really just in the middle of the fourth like they kind of just hung around by like 10 points most of the game which was really surprising considering like no one on the team other than lebron had i mean george hill went three of six from three that's a real i mean but they need him to do that almost every we're game. starting to redefine what a good game is we're starting this, to that's a good players. point yeah and kevin love had 22 and 10 that that's pretty good <laughs> like, like i said to you before, the games that you want for him yeah well i mean Kevin Love is his own like odd case because he need, he shouldn't be evaluated in the same way that we talk about Jeff Green and Jordan Clarkson no. and Jr. and Tristan. Like this this guy was supposed to be the number two option, and I mean technically he has been that. I think he's been he's been pretty good. He's been by far their second best player in both of these first two finals games, but he has been the biggest culprit I think in terms of missing wide open threes. He's done a good yeah. job, like finishing around the rim, rebounding. You know, defensively, I think he's been about as good as you could expect. But he just continues to really, really struggle hitting open threes. Um, this was an all-time to me. How are they not down by more game? Right. Like it's there were so many backbreaking Steph Curry threes. You know, Kevin Love brick, bricks a three on one end, Curry comes down, dribbles into a three on the other. All of a sudden, it's a six-point swing. But but as you alluded to, I mean, this was a seven-point game early in the fourth quarter. It didn't really get out of hand um, until about the eight-minute mark in the fourth when, when Curry hit a three to put them up 14. Um, and then Kevin Love missed a three on the other end. Kevin Durant got a bucket on the other end, and all of a sudden it's a 16-point game. And at that point, the Cavs were kind of dead in the water. Yeah, in the in the first half, it kind of felt to me like they were trying to chase the Warriors off the three-point line mm-hmm. and then try to, if, if the Warriors went to the rim, just stop them, like just try to force them into like those mid-range not even mid-range but like let them have layups rather than either foul them or give them some like three-point shot that they like mm-hmm. um and i thought it was working to as as well as that sort of strategy can where you're basically giving up like relatively open layups um but then yeah like you said it kind of just fell apart once steph curry found his rhythm and looked like the steph curry that you know we were used to seeing before mm. kd came along KD played markedly better in game two. I didn't really think he played any differently. You know, he was criticized in game one for too much ISO. He took basically the same shots and just made them. Yeah. I think he, did he start five of five, six of six? Like he got off to a, a really good start shooting the ball. Um, and I mean, this this would have been, I wouldn't say an all-time finals game by any means by, for KD, but like in terms of efficiency, he was as good as you could ask, but it was just overshadowed by how unbelievable Steph was um nine threes i mean the the one at the end of the shot clock basically shooting it from his knee you know kind yeah. of picked it up and i mean that's a shot that only steph curry most players don't even hit the rim or even the <laughs> backboard on a shot like that he didn't he didn't hit the rim i guess technically either just went right. straight through the net um but that that was kind of the ultimate when when that shot went in you just knew the Cavs were going to win the game not that you felt great about it before um but when curry is is able to step into threes off the dribble, you know, work around screens the way he was, and then hit also be hitting shots like that. You just don't really stand much of a chance. No, and as much flack as I mean, I don't see. I don't. Katie's getting a little flack for some of the shots he takes. He's shooting fifty percent. Yeah, 
and he's hitting 30 percent of his threes which like that's not as good as it should be but he's also got the highest plus minus on the team like we i think people are also forgetting kevin durant is a really good defender he's averaging two and a half blocks and half a steal this post or the, against the Cavs um in the finals so i mean he's he does take the iso shots like if you know if if KD just shot like the highly efficient like system shots the entire time he'd probably you know he'd he'd you ha- score only 20 points a game it'd just be some ridiculous like 65% field goal percentage and i don't i don't even i don't know i i don't feel like you are necessarily i don't feel like what KD is doing is bad like i think people oh. maybe are overblowing um like his shot selection i think I mean, what I don't, yeah, I don't really know what the criticism is here. Like, I, you want him to just wait and kind of be Harrison Barnes, but just make all the threes? Like, what I don't know I think what that, exactly you're asking right. of Durant here is like, you're shooting 50%. Like, we want it to look easier. We want you to shoot only layups and wide open threes. I, I mean, you're on the Warriors. I guess that maybe that's probably a possibility. I think, um, yeah, I think it's like they want him to be a, a marksman Harrison Barnes, but someone they can also give the ball to yeah. in an emergency, like shot clock winding down situation, not right. like post them up with 16 seconds left on the shot clock mm-hmm. and just shoot. What, what is when you're shooting a fadeaway over George Hill from 15 feet and you're Kevin Durant. That's a, it's a yeah. pretty good look. So, yeah, I thought the criticism after game one was strange because he had some big buckets for them down the stretch yeah. and over time. Um, I think he'll be just fine. Uh, I tweeted this out yesterday. LeBron uh, through two games, 50 potential assists. He has 21 assists, if you're wondering how the Cavs are shooting the ball. Corver, Jeff Green, JR, Kevin Love are a combined 5 of 26 on threes from LeBron passes. And that not all those are wide open, but if you watch these games, I would venture to guess without looking that at least like 70 to 80% of them are open or wide open as NBA.com stats uh defines them um so that's not great you look at I, I think the other half of that tweet was draymond and curry have 45 assist chances and 33 of those have been converted um but uh, as i noted the big difference there is I mean, lebron has had you know some passes that have led to dunks i think primarily for nance and tristan but especially in game one, it seemed like Curry and Draymond were, you know, two, three times that Jordan Bell would slip a screen or Sean Livingston would slip a screen. And you're just, you know, firing them a, a relatively easy pass. No one's around. Cleveland has to respect Curry so much off those high pick and rolls that um, it's just, you know, two, three times a game. You're just going to have those breakdowns. And it was more often in game one. I thought they tightened it up in game two. But I mean, when Curry was shooting like he was shooting, it, it really wasn't going to matter. I don't I don't think the Cavs' defense has necessarily been the issue. I mean, it certainly hasn't been great, but it hasn't been, like, as laughably bad as it was early in the playoffs and at the end of the regular season. No, I mean, if you – I mean, the fact that these games – I mean, game one was extremely close, obviously. Game two was close through – I mean, relatively close throughout until the middle mm-hmm. of the fourth quarter. So, the like – the Cavs defense has, like you said, been doing surprisingly well, like way better than I think anyone gave them was giving them credit for. Um, and yeah, I mean the 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 way the Cavs get assists or the way LeBron gets assists compared to the way the Warriors get assists is like two different types of it's it's like a two different types of basketball entirely. Mm-hmm. Like LeBron just has so much gravity, just sucks like players in the middle of the floor, and then he just passes out. Um, but the thing is, when you do that sort of thing, you need like specific role players who are knockdown three point shooters. 
And what LeBron has is a bunch of role players who are just like generic role players and not specialists. Like Love, like I think Love, I don't want to call him like a role player, but like George Hill's not really a knockdown three point shooter. He's kind of just like a he's a good he's a good point guard in general, or was before a lot of like the playoffs happened and he had a weird season in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, J.R. Smith's not a knockdown three point shooter anymore after shooting like 40%, I think through his first two years in Cleveland, or if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I mean, Jeff Green is like generic role player. Yeah. Corbin can't get in the games. There are teams that J.R. Smith would not even be in the rotation for in the league right now. Yeah. I think he would struggle. I mean, he'd probably struggle to get, we there play are, for Indiana. There are like five teams in the league where he'd be playing the minutes that he's playing right now. And one of them happens to be a team that's in the finals. Like it's not it's not like he's just struggling. He's playing 30 to 35 minutes a night, blowing defensive assignments, blowing wide open threes. I mean, he had a couple air balls in this game after telling the media that he's glad that, you know, this mistake at the end of game one happened to him. Other people wouldn't be able to handle it as well as he is. Um, and I, then to come out and have an objectively worse game, you know, obviously not a worse final five seconds, but a much worse overall game in game two uh, was pretty much the opposite of what Cleveland needed on that front. He was aggressive to start the game, like trying to get to the basket, which is something we haven't seen from him, which is probably an issue. It's like, well, you're trying this now after not doing it the entire year. Like, of course, you're not going to be good at it. Um, like the Kevin Love post-ups. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just... I, I don't like you said J.R. Smith I don't know if he would get significant minutes even on the Pacers like if, no. if J.R. Smith was Hell on no. the Pacers uh I don't know if he would play minutes over Lance Stevenson yeah he's kind of lucky he signed that extension when he did because like could you imagine if he was a free agent this summer what what happens there what team is bringing in J.R. Smith like what no young like no you know, no rebuilding team wants that guy around. No contending team really wants that guy around. I, I mean, he would. There's a decent chance he would just not be in the league for parts of next year. Yeah, because I don't think teams value him as a veteran presence either. Oh, God no, absolutely not. I think I think LeBron does. I think. <laughs> right. Sadly, and like everybody loves J.R. Smith still. I yeah. think. Um, but he, game one undid all of the goodwill that he had rebuilt up. Like, J.R. Smith was on top of the world the day that the Cavs won the finals in 2016. There were all these articles about how he turned it around. He wasn't the guy he used to be. And mm-hmm. like, in a lot of ways, you know, he's certainly turned his life around, you know, off the court. And like, this doesn't change that. But I think in the court of general NBA fan, public opinion, he's right back to where he was, you know, in 2011, 2012, when he was just kind of a complete laughing stock. which as a J.R. Smith fan, I don't love, but that's just right. kind of the way it goes when you dribble off the clock in a tied game. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Love post-ups. He, his, his game to me in game two felt a lot like game one where you know, you're frustrated that he's missing these open shots, but then you look and he's got like 21 points and you know, he's shooting the ball fairly well. Like his, his post-ups have been an issue. Um, 41% shooting on post-ups in the playoffs, less than a point per possession. And I, I think it almost looks worse than the numbers belie. <laughs> like he is... This was a guy that I think in terms of reputation, and obviously the game has gone away from this in general, but in terms of if you had to ask somebody, like, name the five best pure like post players in the league, Kevin Love is on that list. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty short list at this point because there's just not that many guys who back down, um, but he'd be on there. And he's just lost all ability to even move guys. And we're not even talking like Draymond Green. We're talking Clay Thompson. 
or in the last round it was often Jalen Brown, like guys that you know shooting guards. Yeah, and he's he's like not even able to get any closer to the basket. You know, he's he's always looking for fouls. He's probably getting hit to some degree, but everybody is when you post up. And and most of the time it just seems like it ends with him kind of trying to you know gather his way, use his shoulder to clear space, and then end up kind of football throwing the ball at the rim and it, and it doesn't go in. Um, you know, I think we, we were talking off air about just how quickly the game has changed and gotten away from that. But that was one of the appeals of Kevin Love's game, you know, was you know, not only is he this great rebounder who, who can shoot, but if you need a basket, you can dump it down to this guy and he'll get you a good look. I don't know if it's the weight loss, you know, the last couple of years, you know, that have kind of made him more adept to, to playing the style that Cleveland wants or what, but he is that, that part of his game is just not really there anymore. I mean, it feels like the weight loss to me because he got, I mean, he's significantly skinnier than he was. If you look at him like his second to last year in Minnesota, mm-hmm. I mean, he just looks like a different person. He um, didn't get better at anything though. That's the problem. Like he, he slimmed <clears throat> down for what purpose? I, I think they just wanted him running to corner to corner. I guess, yeah. And I mean, maybe his knees like longevity. Yeah. Like if you figure the guy's going to play with LeBron and go to the finals every year for yeah. four straight years, like you don't want him carrying around like 30 extra pounds. But either way, like he should, you would think that he could still be an effective post up player because he has a good shot and he's used to like. He has great he, touch when he actually gets a good look. He just hasn't changed his post up style since losing all that weight like he could i feel like kevin love could do more like spin moves could do more face up like tim duncan bank shots could maybe add like a dirk kind of like a step back instead of trying to like bully his way inside Mm. which you can do against but he basically basically he just has a small forwards body now and it just isn't there's a reason small forwards don't post up it's because they can't move anybody yeah yeah, and I think that's I think that's really limited, you know, both his game and then what the Cavs are able to do in terms of diversity on offense. Um, I just have a couple other game two notes. JaVale and Livingston, uh, I think they were eleven of eleven from the field combined. <laughs> All of JaVale's were obviously dunks or layups. Yeah. Uh, Livingston was. There's always one or two games in the finals where Livingston just hits everything. This I, th- I think this was that game. You know, he was doing his usual mid range stuff. Um, I mean, Sean Livingston would be starting for the Cavs, right? Um, he would probably maybe six. You man. could you could maybe argue shift. Uh, you could maybe shift George Hill as shooting guard, and then you could start Kevin Love at center, and maybe go yeah. that way. At the very least, he'd be playing like twenty-five to thirty minutes. Heavy six-man um, minutes. Yeah, jo- I think Jordan Bell would be playing huge minutes for the Cavs. I think Quinn Cook would be playing big minutes for the Cavs um probably yeah. a healthy patrick mccaw david west hit a three in this game <laughs> that was other than the curry you know parking lot three the david west corner three was i think that was the true kind of sealed the deal yes there. right in front of the Cavs bench you know after after miss after miss after miss from the Cavs, you know for david west to hit what was a semi-contested three you know from the corner yeah. was just the ultimate backbreaker um can you remember anything like like this jordan clarkson stuff i mean it's kid not even game two. I mean, this is this has been going on for weeks now, and it just continues to get worse and worse. He came out in game two, missed his first shot. A couple possessions later, took a pull up off the dribble. Uh, I believe it was over David West and airballed it. Um, I, I mean, it, it just can't get any worse. It, he continues. It's he has to be aware of the criticism, right? I mean, at this point, I googled. You know, I uh, searched his his Twitter username the other night and there was you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people telling him to retire telling him to go <laughs> oh to G League. like 
and unless he's doing a zero dark, whatever number he is, six. Um, I don't know. I mean, like he has to know I, I, to continue to take these bad shots um, and just play the exact same way that has kind of dug him into this hole is mind boggling. I, I really don't understand it. Do you do you want to guess how many free throw attempts Jordan Clarkson has throughout the 2018 postseason? Free throw attempts. Eight. Six. <laughs> six free throw attempts in the entire on so he's got six free throw attempts, one hundred and twenty-three shot attempts for thirty percent from the field. What is that free throw rate? Like point zero it, I mean it's it's as close to non existent yeah, as like right. realistically possible. Um Ooh. and so I mean he's not he's not driving the lane and drawing contact. He's not making any shots. He's like he's not well he did go off for one assist, which was his first he, assist since what game <laughs> game four against toronto i think yes and, and that was in garbage time he has the teams like i mean you know it's like he's basically at the for the whole playoffs he's at the bottom of like plus my it's there's there's he I mean, virtually no reason mm-hmm. to play the only reason he's being played is because they don't mm-hmm. have another option that's really just what it comes down to i looked up um in terms of player impact the other day he um, among players in the playoffs who i think had played it was either a minimum of 10 games or a minimum of like 150 minutes, one of the two. He's having the second worst postseason in the history of basketball. That's very like, believable. I, I mean, Tom Chambers was weirdly number one. It was like a season toward the end of his career where he just oh. chucked up a bunch of, sh- bunch of shots and missed. Um, but yeah, in terms of negative impact, he's no one, only one person in history has had more of a negative impact on a team than Jordan Clarkson. Which is not surprising. I mean, honestly, I would have thought he'd be number one by a mile, but he's probably just not playing enough minutes. And to me, like, I don't know. Like, I understand Jose Calderon is a defensive liability, but oh, but I mean, at the like, why why not five no, minutes? I, well, we're Ty Lue did say we're going to see Rodney Hood in Game Three, so it, that's what it's come to. It, well, the quote was he would give him a chance, and then after that sentence, just said we'll see. Think of so, how bad and how long it's taken. Like Jordan Clarkson has had to do this for. I mean, he's been really bad for the entire Toronto series, the entire Boston series, and now two games of the finals. Yeah, I mean, Hood hasn't uh, Hood hasn't played more than ten minutes since Game Two of Boston, I think. So it's taken um, thirteen straight horrific games by Jordan Clarkson to finally maybe get Rodney Hood a chance, which feels like too long. Like I understand Rodney uh, Hood's been bombing, but like I mean, bad. you, I, it's a pick your poison thing, and like clearly, what I don't like, just it's weird to me that at least Rodney Hood averaged eighteen points a game earlier this year. Like, how did that happen <laughs> for a good team? It's not like he was well, doing this for the Kings. Quinn Snyder is a great coach. Yeah, great at putting players in position to succeed. So like I I like, but still, yeah, like mm-hmm. there's it. This shouldn't happen. Okay, last thing on game two. Um, I'm sure everybody has seen the the kind of the unedited footage, the raw footage, as they say in the biz, of the Cavs, you know, in the waning seconds of game one. Um, you know, just kind of it was kind of an odd look, I guess, into what what happens when they're reviewing things and, you know, ha- about to head into overtime. Like no one is talking on the Cavs bench You know, everybody's sitting in silence. I think Jr. is kind of shell shocked as he should have been. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the part of the video, I guess, that's received the most criticism is when Ty Lue comes over and it looks like, you know, they're going to start strategizing for OT. He's going to start drawing something up. And LeBron asks him, did we have a timeout? And you can't see what see or hear what Lue says, but the implication is like, yeah, we had one. And LeBron, 
what LeBron wants to say and what he says with his reaction is like, how could you not call that timeout? Um, and he's in some ways rightfully getting criticized. You know, I mean, I think, I think that's one of those things where he probably didn't realize the cameras were on him. He said that in his presser this morning. He literally said, oh, the cameras were on. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's not a great look for LeBron. Um, but at the same time, like, it's a pretty understandable reaction given what had just gone down. Um, and LeBron, I wouldn't say he, he finally cracked, but he <laughs> he did have a quote, which you heard at the top of the podcast. Um, you know, Chris Haynes from, from ESPN asked him you know basically what you know what was that had he seen the reaction what did he think about the reaction and he, he basically was like look i you know you can you can criticize me for not picking up my teammates but i mean what, what was the exact wording where I, I got them to the nba finals i don't know how much more picking up i can do yeah that's I about mean, as as cutting as it's going to get from lebron yeah and he's i mean he's got a good point like yeah. there, you're Everyone in the else NBA, has been able to say it. Yeah, yeah, you're in the NBA Finals. Like you have to be, your head has to be in the game. You yeah. have to be very. Otherwise, there's no. Why are you playing basketball? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was that that footage. He literally, I mean, he was he literally cradled his head in his hands, like like it was well, right. It, if you, how does Ty Lue not call a timeout there? That's where I. That's as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. You know, people were getting on LeBron for not calling it, but you you have to either have the ball or the coach has to call it, right? I thought, uh, I don't know. I saw a quote that he also. I thought I saw a quote from him that said he didn't want to be in a Chris Webber situation. Yep, that's right. He did say that too. He said he was. He. I think he said like he was shocked by what was happening. That was the the word that completely he completely fair. Which is, yeah, also fair. I was also shocked by what was happening. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think ideally, it was very clear that he was just disappointed in his coach. Like, you're the coach. This is what you're. This is what you're supposed to be ready to do in this situation. You're not on the court playing. Your your worry is time situation, and clearly Ty Lue, you know, was kind of as zoned out as as anyone else was on the court. Yeah. All right, let's talk game three. Um, you'd like to think the Cavs probably shoot the three a little better. You know, they're right around thirty percent if not a little lower for the series. They were 9 of 27 in Game 2. Uh, I think they probably want to get more attempts up. You know, this is a team that you know generally doesn't have a problem shooting into the you know mid to high 30s. One of the issues, I think, is they still have not really found a way to, to unlock Kyle Korver like, at all. No. Every, every look he takes, I think he took three three in, uh, or three three-point attempts in Game 1 and only had one attempt in Game 2. Everything that he's getting off looks forced. You know, he's just kind of trying to get himself into rhythm. And, you know, it's Kyle Korver, so you're okay with him taking those. Um, but really, ever since kind of midway through the Boston series, he just hasn't been able to get loose. You know, he, he was really one of the keys that that helped them blow by Toronto as easily as they did. Um, and not having him, you know, really only being able to play him for 15 or so minutes a night uh, has been a, a pretty big drag on that offense. Yeah, and they do. Um, they shoot significantly better at home during the playoffs um on the road they shoot 31 percent during the postseason at home 36 percent. so you get a five percent boost six percent boost what i say it's 31 on the road 37 at home um they also get a bump to their free throw percentage they shoot about six percent better on free throws at home um so you figure statistically they should be able to make more threes this game but yeah kyle corver not being able to be in the game is like a huge issue because he's the he's the ideal guy you want catching and shooting 
every time LeBron goes to the hole and makes a pass. Um, but he, I mean, maybe he'll be able to find some extra energy at home. And he played good defense against the Celtics for a couple of games. He shut, <laughs> he, he got those three blocks, I think, during yeah. against like Jalen like Brown, essentially. Kyle Matumbo for a couple of games. Exactly. So maybe at the extra energy at home can help right. and they can get some good minutes out of him. But well, it's tough. I mean, Semi Ojale is not even in this series. So I think it's really tough to get <laughs> Kyle Corver on the floor unless Ojale is out there. And now that, now that Ojale is not on the roster, even, I think Ty Lue is really struggling to pick his spots. The Kyle Korver can't play D thing, like you just said, does seem a little overblown. Like I know he, I, he seems to commit a, an unreasonably high number of like bad fouls, like a lot of shooting, you know, like slapping hitting, people that and like fouling shooters in the air, stuff like that. But I mean, it's not like Jordan Clarkson is lighting it up or Jr. is lighting it up on D. Any of those guys, like I, I don't think the disparity is like he's not so bad of a defender that it just absolutely kills you. Like the way that that Ty Lue talks about him. It's like, it's Isaiah out there on D. Yeah. I mean, Corver can win you a game on offense by yes. getting hot from three. Like he could take eight threes and make like six or seven of them. That's very conceivable. Well, and We've you can argue that, that the Cavs literally need him to do that. Not every game, obviously, right. but like they need him to make one to four three pointers, you know, in five out of the seven games, I would say like if he's not a factor, you know, so many things have to go right in the first place for the Cavs to even compete. So like, I don't think it's too much to, to ask or too too big of a statement to say they, they really need Kyle Korver to play well if they're going to beat the most talented team in NBA history. I just figured the odds of Korver making up his bad defense with good offense is way higher than the odds of Jordan yes. Clarkson making up his bad offense right. with good defense. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think the gap between how bad um, Clarkson is on, on offense versus how slightly much better he might be on defense than Korver is so much bigger than the gap between how good Corver is on offense and how bad Corver is on defense. You know, I, I think it's just a, a little bit of a miscalculation in that regard from Ty Lue. Um, it creates an issue like switching, yeah. but you figure you might be able to work something where Corver switches less, only switches on certain situations. Like he made a really horrible read during game one that got an open yep. look, but like that was one read. Mm -hmm. Does it seem like the Cavs are making too many reads? And, and this is Golden State forced them to do it, obviously. But like, you know, I was reading Zach Lowe's piece from this morning, and he's kind of detailing all these different scenarios where the Cavs are doing this in this situation. They're doing this in this situation. They're not trapping here, but they are trapping here. Like, it, it almost seems like they had to throw together this, like, crash course game plan in a matter of three days. You know, some of the, you know, JR's been, been through this. LeBron's been through this. Corver to some degree, love. But, like, a lot of these guys, you know, have never played the Warriors in yeah. this type of setting. And it seems like they almost had to kind of, you know, piece together this game plan that in theory if everybody executed it all the time would be really good but they just haven't been able to execute it at a high enough level which is pretty understandable you know given the opponent and given the the personnel you know on this team and you you want and if it's basically a crash course like if you if you're on playing defense on the nba level and you have to like think about something you probably already yep. got burned well especially against the warriors especially against the warriors and so then what you have to do is you have to make sure that literally everybody on the court is like pointing out assignments and like everyone's communicating really well to make sure that nobody's forgetting anything mm -hmm. but that's also relatively like i just haven't seen the Cavs do that either so lebron has been bad on d as much as it hates pains me to say it he's been really really bad he's not been interested in helping uh, at all no uh, even when he's guarding you know if he switched on looney or bell or whoever he's still really not interested in helping and that's really killed the Cavs. and you can like nobody can call him out on it because he's lebron and he kind of has that trump card but 
that's he hasn't been the only issue on D. I mean, there have certainly been other ones, but that to me, like watching him, especially early in games, he just he just I don't know if he's saving energy or or what, but like at some point you have to you know, you have to leave your man to to contest a layup at the rim and like things like that he just hasn't been interested in doing. It seems like he really does. I can, like you said, you can almost feel himself easing into these games. Like the first, a lot yep. of possessions, he like throws it to Kevin Love and Kevin Love throws the ball at the backboard as hard as he can yep. after elbowing yep. the nearest Warriors player. Yep. Um, and then LeBron stands around the perimeter a lot, doesn't bend his knees a lot on defense. Yep. And then the second quarter comes around, and it's like you can you can kind of see the effort increase. And then once it's the middle of the third quarter, I feel like he that's when he actually starts like basically trying on both yep. ends of the floor. And I mean, I don't I don't know what it's like to be LeBron James, obviously, but like I can't I don't know how much. This is that's really big of you to say. Thank you. Um, and I just don't know how much effort like a person like him after i mean you know what i'm trying like how much effort can you right on a minute to minute basis mm-hmm. be putting out on on both ends of the floor i just yeah. don't i i really just don't know a lot of it too is i think he's careful not to foul not that you know, he's never really in foul trouble but a big reason for that is he doesn't contest shots at the rim <laughs> doesn't pick up fouls because he's never in position to foul um but yeah i think especially early in games the last thing he wants is to pick up two fouls in the first quarter like that's a death wish for the Cavs. right um i thought it was pretty great that jr got got the ovation during intros and got the MVP chance. That was pretty hilarious. What kind of reaction do you think he gets in Cleveland? Um, normal. I think I would, it'll be normal. It's right? just I don't, normal. I, I don't think it'll be any louder than I, – I like. they're not going to boo him, obviously. Uh, that would be insane. Um, you can't do I, as that. As much as they might want to. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it being any different. If you boo him, he's like – uh, you feel like he's mentally out of it at that point. He has no. He's mentally out of it now. He has no that home would really, that at would that point. It. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if he, if he goes like 0 of nine from three in game three, they might boo him in game four. It's possible. Yeah. Um, finals MVP. I think after last night, Steph Curry is very firmly in the driver's seat. Yep. Um, numbers wise, you know, we had talked like, what does LeBron have to do to to really be in the conversation? Steph's averaging like 32 points per game and had, you know, I think you, you ideally want to have like a very memorable performance, you know, whether, whether it's in like a a clutch scenario or just having a huge, massive record setting game, like, like Curry just did like Durant's numbers at the end of the series could end up being, you know, right on par with Curry's, but you're going to remember the nine three pointers. You're going to remember the 40 footer at the end of the shot clock um and I, I think yeah i mean curry would have to probably get hurt or the warriors would have to wildly and probably blow this series for him not to win it unless durant has like two 40 point games in him yeah yeah i i agree with that yeah unless curry unless curry randomly starts playing bad too which i don't really anticipate i mean lebron's first game that i mean that's that was ridiculous um i mean lebron could easily i mean you I don't know how possible it is for him to still. I mean, it's still on the table. Him winning Finals MVP in, in a losing series, if he can put up another game like Game One at home, um, and basically a must. It, I mean, it's a must-win game. I mean, yes. this is it's it's. I mean, it's a game at home. Your fear is going down 0-3. I don't know what situation is set up more for LeBron to have the best game of his career. So, um, if I mean, he could do something ridiculous. So I, but I agree with you overall. Like Steph Curry will probably win it unless something drastic happens. Either way, 
Yeah, I I have in my notes like I I think LeBron would legit need to go for forty plus in like every game the rest of the way because Steph's playing well enough that he couldn't like if it, like like we said in the last spot if it didn't happen in twenty fifteen like everything had stacked up for LeBron to win it that year with right. Curry not playing well um, the Cavs winning two games in that series like if they if they get swept I don't I don't care what LeBron does he could average fifty for the series and I don't think he would get it um, they have to win at least one game and and if they're gonna win one it's gonna be tomorrow night. If, it has to, yeah. Although I, I genuinely could see the Warriors throwing a game so they get to celebrate at home. I'm serious. Like I really. Think no, me too. I think that's well in the cards. I was thinking about it, and um, I think winning in Cleveland and deal like it sounds like very ridiculous to say, but like dealing with everyone booing. I think I feel like it would be, especially for Durant, like you you win the t- like no one's happy. Like no one is happy in the city that you won. Everyone's gonna be. I mean, it's that. I think one is the city of Cleveland. There's nothing to do. I think it's more about the celebration. Oh, fair enough. You know, and like it's a lot easier to have family members, friends, and whatnot if you're at home. You yeah, know, you can. Somebody had mentioned, you know, like that teams love to go to Vegas, and obviously Vegas is so much closer to Oakland <laughs> than it is to Cleveland. Um, and like if there's ever a team that would prioritize the post game party over winning, it's this team. Because they know. can, and right. not, it won't mean it. Yeah, yeah. If they're up three zero, like they know, they you know. Th- I mean, if they somehow were to blow that, then whatever. But they, I think they they know where the series is going to go. They would pretty easily close it out in you know in game five. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, if it's not if they had like a an undefeated postseason on the line, they'd just finish it in four. But like for them, what's what's the difference between winning in five and four? Like it's not going to matter in the long term whether whether they swept this team or not. Yeah, I could I could see them uh not trying particularly hard mm-hmm. in a in a game four up three oh okay um i want to close with a i guess it's a debate um a debate that was going on on twitter yesterday definitely not a debate that we have to have um <laughs> a debate that i would like to have because I, I actually do think it's really interesting and it's it's something that's been tossed around you know for the last couple of years but it was it was interesting to see you know, a lot of basketball minds, you know, kind of giving their, their takes on this and people were really all over the board. Um, it was in general, you know, there's not really one, one core question, I guess, but it's just, how are we going to remember LeBron's decision in 2010 versus KD's decision in 2016, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, are we going to look at KD going to golden state the same way that we do with LeBron you know, is that going to be kind of lost to history? They both went, and, you know, one formed a great team, one joined a great team. It's it's all the same. Or are we really, are we going to think about it differently? You know, in the historical context, I think we'll think about it differently because uh, people hate the decision, and the decision was bad. Like I, I think, uh, like the whole TV thing that LeBron did, I did not like. I understand like money went to charity and like this and that. Still, it was it was a lot to like go on TV and be like leaving Cleveland. Would it have been okay if he was staying in Cleveland? If he announced that he was staying, would that have been okay? Yes. See, then I don't see, I don't know. I, I agree. Obviously the decision was problematic for a number of reasons, <laughs> but I, I didn't really have a problem with the TV thing. He was LeBron. People watched it. ESPN wanted it, you know I mean? And it's, if you've read the oral histories on this stuff, it's pretty clear that it wasn't LeBron himself saying, I need to do this on national TV. Sure. Um, so I, it's like in that, it, like looking at it that way, I don't think you can let the result dictate, you know, how you view the process, if that makes sense. You know, like you're allowed to go on TV and announce you're staying, but you're not allowed to go on TV and announce you're leaving. 
Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to now. I'm thinking about like if KD went on and did the decision and was like, "I'm going to Golden State." They right. probably have to cut the feed. Yeah, well, especially <laughs> after LeBron. <laughs> Could you imagine? That would have been the most, maybe the most tone deaf thing to ever happen in the history. Of okay, sports. but okay, if LeBron didn't do it though, yeah. let's say LeBron didn't do it, and then KD was like, "I'm going to the Warriors." Yeah, it would be. They it was would a actually have to burn scenario. down that building. A shockingly similar scenario. Obviously, LeBron or Durant's not from OKC, and that was kind of what really drove things home, I think, with with the Cleveland fans and LeBron. That's true. Yeah. But KD hadn't played anywhere else, unless you want to count Seattle. You know, he hadn't played for another franchise. You know, there was kind of that same. You know, you'd gotten to the mountaintop, but couldn't quite get the title. You know, like had if LeBron had won the title in '07, and then they continually failed to put good players around him, would it have been okay for him to leave three years later? Like that was part of it too. It was like you, hey, you didn't keep up your end of the bargain. You know, you never won us a title. You can't leave until you win us a title. I think that theme is present in in both guys' situations. Right. For me, I think at the time, I was mad. I was mad at LeBron for leaving at the time, and I, when the KD left, I understood it more because I understood how frustrating it probably was to play with Russell Westbrook, and. So I didn't. Bl- I blamed KD less for leaving than LeBron, even though it's ba- it's kind of backwards. So it was LeBron more had frustrating to play team. with Russ than it was with Mo Williams, I think, and Larry Hughes, and Shaq. I think because it was easier to put the blame on one person who is obviously just like not choosing to play a different way, yeah. as opposed to just like LeBron, like a GM can't figure something out. Um, I don't know, but if KD leaving felt more like accessible to me to be like i would do i could yeah. i could see myself doing that the fact that he went to the warriors that's a different thing yeah then lebron we'll, we'll get into that right? we'll get into that um so i have i have a bunch of notes on this i i think people hated lebron because of how he made the decision not because of the, what the decision was and i think people hated on kd because of the decision not because of how he did it right like no one, I mean, the Players Tribune thing is now like a huge meme because he was wearing that ridiculous, like, <laughs> cut off white. It created white, one of the greatest memes. Like, it, it, yeah. it created a very good meme. I still so. laugh at those every time. I like, do too. Credit to these Anything. people who two years later are still responding to like ESPN tweets with KD and you know whatever shirt of the winning team. Yeah. I don't know who is producing these and <laughs> why they're spending their time on it, but I appreciate it. Um. I mean, is there any difference between forming a team versus joining an already intact team? That's the other like major, major difference. I think because the team that KD joined was one that was already one of the greatest teams of all time, if not the greatest team of all time, um, compared to when in LeBron's situation where he basically had to form a new team, and it was kind of it was kind of up in the air, like because a lot of guys had to go for LeBron to come in and um it felt a little bit different too because with LeBron, Bosh and Wade they were all like friends. Mm-hmm. And so it it kind of just felt like they were just guys who always wanted to play on the same team together. They found a way to do it. It was like it was a super team, but it could have fell apart into into like no one thought it was going to fall apart. But like it they didn't play what particularly well. It went about as badly as it could have gone in year one, I think. That's a good way to put it. Yes. And with KD going to the Warriors, that felt way more like a business transaction where it's like, I'm a top five, top 10 player. I'm joining the best team of all time. We're just going to win a bunch of championships because we can. I don't have strong relationships with any of these guys. I'm just here because I can be. 
And so that vibe to me was like incredibly different. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little different because Wade, I guess was already in Miami. So it's like, they did form their own team, but like, you know, it didn't really feel like, Oh, we're just, we're going to go join Dwayne Wade's team. It was like, this just happens to be the, the most appealing and the easiest place for us to do this. You know, yeah. like Wade has said that they talked about all doing this in Chicago, but there were concerns. I think Derek Rose was not really on board with that. Um, Fair enough. Which would have been really interesting because I think, I that think team at the time he was still on a rookie deal. So like he could have, yeah. for at least a short time, like it, Derek Rose would have been with those guys. Um, you know, Miami at the time had, had just lost in five games in round one um, to Boston. You know, it wasn't, it was by no means a super team. They had won, they did not win 73 games. Um, so I think there was something to that because there was, you know, I, I don't remember thinking, Oh my God, the league is ruined. You know, like they're going to win. They're going to win the next 10 titles. You know, who's going to stop them. Um, but I think a lot of people did feel that way. And that was part of the reason I'm sure that LeBron got some backlash. Um, I do think also there's a point to be made that KD and this is more to his credit than anything else. He's just a more adaptable player where like people grossly underestimated, you know, how much time it would take for the heat to gel because LeBron at that point, in his career was still a very shaky shooter. Dwayne Wade was, and still is a very shaky shooter. Chris Bosh hadn't really shot threes at all at that point. And like, nobody really thought about the actual X's and O's of it all. You know, it was right. just threw together these three future all of famers. And it's going to be fine. Whereas the Warriors had already established, you know, this system that had just won them 73 games. And then you're adding in, like, if there's any superstar in the league who can just meld to any team, it's KD. So, like, there was never, ever, ever a concern from anyone, you know, smart fan or, uh, you know, smart writers or casual fans about how KD would mesh in Golden State. Yeah. I mean, there's. The, so that was also part of it. Basically, zero chemistry issue. Like you said, with any team in the league, it's like, well, he can catch and shoot. He can drip. Like, he can do everything. So, I mean, and he, he's not ball dominant. Mm-hmm. Where LeBron's always used to having the ball in his hands. Wade is basically the same way. Neither of them can play well, particularly well off ball. Like, Wade is better than LeBron, obviously. Um, and Bosch was like, Bosch reinvented his game entirely because he was mostly a post up player who, mm-hmm. in his own right, had the ball in his hands all the time um, in Toronto. So, yeah, there was the X's and O's like, yeah, definitely didn't make as much sense and were more of a question mark, obviously, and it played out that way than um, than this than this KD Warriors team, which you just put you just swapped KD out for Harrison Barnes or the other way around. And that's so as I was lurking, you know, on this argument on Twitter yesterday, some of the points being brought up were, or someone asked, you know, were the Heat struggles actually good for LeBron's legacy in the long term? in that he never got, you know, he never got the criticism that KD is getting now. You know, like LeBron was never accused of riding anyone's coattails or taking the easy way out. I think he was initially. And then once people saw that the Heat weren't just going to steamroll everybody, you know, it, you know, LeBron had to grind out all of those finals. You know, they beat, they beat OKC in five, but that was a, that was a finals that they were very close to going down 0-2. Obviously the, the Spurs series in 13 was one of the best finals of all time the series, you know, the one that they lost and then 14 was a, was a tough series as well. So like them losing. And I think that combined with Wade's deteriorating, you know, Wade deteriorating twice as fast as anyone thought. And LeBron basically having to drag this heat team, even though the supporting cast was infinitely better than it was in Cleveland. Like from day one, LeBron was the guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was, it was very clear that he wasn't just going to be along for the ride. Whereas I think that's what Durant has kind of been accused of. 
uh, is a big difference. I don't know long-term if people will, will remember it that way. I mean, we're going to look back and Durant's going to have at least one finals MVP. He was the best player in that series. People will, will remember that. Um, but it, it, it does, I just don't remember there being like people seem more upset with Durant right now than they did the day that he left OKC or at least like NBA Twitter, maybe not Thunder fans. Right. But people are like the more that the Warriors win, the more that people kind of start piling on KD. Whereas it was kind of the opposite with LeBron. We're like, even people that hated LeBron were kind of happy or relieved maybe to see him win it and get the monkey off his back in in 2012. Nobody was all like happy for KD last year. You know, it was just kind of uh, well, this is what we thought would happen. Yeah, it's the it's weird. Like, there's definitely a different like dynamic because with LeBron everyone was very much ready for him to be or a lot of people probably already thought he was like basically the next michael jordan Mm -hmm. and that he need like he needed a championship or this was just going to be like horrible for horrible Mm -hmm. for his legacy if he never got one and for kd i don't know if people ever i mean maybe they did it's hard to it's hard to for me at least to think back like where people like kd needs a championship or he'll never get respect as like a top tier player i think kd thought that but no one else thought that right and so i i don't it's to me it just feels like kd is, did this for no reason other than just to win championships for himself right and it wasn't to prove anything because i mean well he has that's the thing he hasn't proven anything to anybody no, he has it that and that's i think where his miscalculation was was like I think he thought, all right, once I get this ring, everything will be fine. I won't have any more critics, which and now people hate him more. Which was a weird, <laughs> another weird miscalculation. Like nobody, nobody was criticizing him. Like he had a built-in guy to criticize on his own team, and like all the blame was going to that guy. Um, and, well, and this the the LeBron Heat team was not nearly as good. Not even close. Not even close they to had as no good. No depth. They that was the other thing that no one talked about was like, oh yeah, we have to gut our entire roster. They sent a bunch of picks. Like, those were sign-in trades, you know, to yeah. for LeBron and Bosch. They had, like, no picks, basically, for the next, you know, still they're they're feeling the effects of that. Um, yeah, it was uh, – one of the things I have written down here, too, is would it have been more understandable if KD and another guy who was a free agent that summer, Al Horford? Like, what if KD, Al Horford, and James Harden teamed up in Houston? Like, that, to me, would mirror – LeBron Bosch going to team up with Wade at the time in Miami like would that if KD had had on July 4th come out and said I'm leaving OKC I'm going to Houston to play with James and Al would people have been as furious as they were no I don't think so either I don't think so and it's funny because I think that Rockets team would have the potential to be better than the Heat team because I mean I mean Horford has a stretch five with KD and Harden like that's stupid James Harden now or two years ago versus what Dwayne Wade was by 2012, uh, yeah. I mean, and, and again, a part of it comes back to Durant just being so adaptable, too. LeBron's a tough guy to play with. A lot a lot more difficult to play with than KD. Yeah, and I don't think Hargan is, like, Hargan's obviously, like, really ball-dominant, like, to some extent as ball-dominant as Westbrook, but mm-hmm. he's better at it. And so I don't think KD would have been as annoyed at Harden as he was at Westbrook. Right. I think the dynamic would have been a look. It's well, he's it, also played with Harden too. You know, those guys. I don't think they're best pals, but I think they have you know a working were, relationship. They, yeah, they had a working relationship. <laughs> like they clearly knew each other for several years. Um, so I mean, the crux of the argument, I guess, is like, is the issue that KD left OKC or that KD went to the Warriors? It's that like he went to the Warriors because right. he could have yeah. went to like Boston and then. That I mean, that team would have been very good, right. and it he would have competed every year mm-hmm. uh, for a championship. 
I agree. The issue, and I think almost everyone would say the issue is that he went to the Warriors, not that he left OKC. I think the issue for LeBron was he left Cleveland, not that he went to Miami. If LeBron had left Cleveland and gone and signed with the Bulls, people would have been just as upset, right? Nobody, um, like people weren't. It, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like I never got the impression that people were up in arms that he was teaming up with Wade and Bosh. It was that he like pushed out and didn't want to do it in Cleveland. I think that also people at the time thought it was an automatic championship. I think like that that part of it is what got people. I mean, I, I think, mean, I get that, but we were also coming off of what three straight Celtics Lakers. Yeah finals like the celtics were still really good the lakers were still pretty good the, the lakers had just added dwight howard and they yeah i feel like i mean lebron could have went to the bull like if if lebron dragged wade like if lebron dragged bosh to the bulls and it was lebron bosh Derek rose mm-hmm. i think people would have been maybe more accepting of that but people also probably would have like gotten really excited about like LeBron's in Chicago. This is great. Like, I think that would have, like, yeah. kind of dampened that some would have been that. a really weird move, like, playing where Jordan played, right? I think that's partially why he was never going to do it. I thought it was, like, a realistic place for him to go. Oh, like, yeah. I thought it made perfect sense to me, but then... Yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, I think Derrick Rose and LeBron on the same team is, like, oh. that probably would not have worked out great. So, yeah. I, like, re- Clearly I don't know what I was it. thinking back then. Maybe I'm but underestimating... I was also, like, 14 yeah (laughs) maybe i'm underestimating how good wade was or how good he was considered in 2010 you know like i've never been a wade guy i i never liked that tandem from the start but i guess at the time i mean he was a top five player in the league so maybe that looked like more of a a cop-out move by lebron joining him you know whereas by by their second title for sure it was very clear that Dwayne wade was not the same player yeah and that ultimately that was what kind of undid them was wade you know the knee issues really started to become an issue. And I mean, he was a shell of himself by the time they would get to the finals, you know, that's a hundred games for LeBron and, you know, Wade had basically played 60 at that point. Yeah. And we saw, I mean, we saw how hard it is for, I mean, a team to go to the finals for four straight years and have these guys play big minutes. And that's another thing with the Warriors is they're so good that they're actually, it's like, it's kind of like a rich get richer thing. You're so good that you don't need to play your players right. for as long and tire them out in as many games. Yes. And then you're better in the finals to where LeBron, Wade, and Bosch actually felt like they needed to play. I mean, Wade's injuries for one or two of those years were like, he didn't play a ton of games. Well, you know, back-to-backs, you know, he would miss stretches. And even, so just, it, even just like pure minutes. I mean, the Warriors right. guys are playing in the low 30s. You know, LeBron, Wade, Bosch are playing in the high 30s. Yeah, it really felt like they actually they actually had to play. Two of those guys, it really right. felt like two of those guys for certain had to play every single night, or they were they could get beaten by, a, you know, most average or better teams. Like it right. was a realistic possibility they would lose. But the Warriors, two of those guys, you could take out two of those guys and figure there's a most teams in the league would just mm-hmm. you just chalk up a loss for those other teams. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The fact that the fact that the Heat were good but never invincible. And the Warriors are, you know, have that veil of invincibility is another key difference. Yeah, I think so. Because, and arguably one of the only reasons they want, they lost the, I mean, the Draymond suspension in the finals. I, like you can, like it, you can go either way on that. But I, they won two more games after that. I mean, it, right. I don't like, I hate that argument. Either, But either way, I think it, like, I think it still presents the idea that like the only way the Warriors even thought about losing or you know got 
ended up losing was right. one of the reasons was one of their players just straight up didn't play one of their best players. Right. And so I think people figure if he had been playing, I'm going to be another championship. I don't know. I think it could have gone either way, but I think it's also a very strong argument that because Bogut didn't play either, right? Bogut and he Bogut played a pretty good role for them. Mm-hmm. Iguodala's back was allegedly, you know, at like seventy percent by the end of that series too. Right. Yeah. Well, put an asterisk by it. You know. <laughs> I, mean, it was, I mean, honestly, though, it would be interesting if the I mean, if the Warriors were going for a four peat right now. Yeah. You know, well, I think, and the Cavs had a lot of old role players too. That was part of the issue. That the I mean the sort of the Warriors to some extent, but it felt. I mean, the Warriors' depth is a little younger than the than the Heat's depth when you got down into, you know, like the eighth oh my God, men. Yeah, I mean, compared to the Heat, it's not even close. Those Heat teams, I mean, it was Shane Battier, you know, the, the center Ray position Allen. was always just, a, yeah, Ray Allen, who was great, but was 39. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, he was a good four <laughs> years older than like David West, which is crazy. Um, so, I mean, legacy-wise, let's say the Warriors win, win this year, they win next year. KD gets at least three rings. He's a part of the most dominant three-year run in NBA history. Um, and he, he finishes out his career somewhere else and never wins another title. But he you know, continues to be productive. He's a hands-down top 10 to 15 player ever. Like, does, does the move to Golden State ultimately hurt his legacy? Or are the three rings in this scenario worth it for the PR hit that he takes? I don't think anyone... I think I think at the at the end of the road, his reputation, the way people viewed him as like ranking him among all time greats, zero difference. Whether he had won three championships with the Warriors or he had went to Boston. Let's say he goes to Boston, he wins none, maybe one championship, hypothetically. I don't think that would have done his legacy any different than him going to the Warriors and winning three championships. I think people view him the exact same way. I I think they should view him the exact same way. I mean, I, him going to the Warriors didn't make him a worse player by any means. You could argue that it made things a lot easier. He eliminated ever having to play under pressure, which I think is probably the biggest criticism. Um, That's a fair he, one. Yeah, I mean, and maybe not ever. There are Yeah, there are times he's hit big shots, whatever. But he, he eliminated the burden of having to ever single-handedly will a team to a win. And when you look back at the people who are – you know, lionized in, in American sports, like that, that kind of is like one of the main redeeming qualities, right or wrong. It's just like, you want to see like the lore with Jordan is he, you know, when he, when he was playing in the finals, he won every time you did not have a chance. He was going to make sure his team won. It was like Kobe. That's Jordan, one thing about Kobe. Right. Kobe, yeah. yeah, Kobe too. Even though Kobe lost multiple finals, if Kobe was in the finals, he could shoot 30%, but he was going to find a way to win, darn it. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's kind of part of what played. Like, that was the biggest criticism of LeBron for his it was. You know, early in his yeah. career. And now, yeah, I think finally, even though he continues to lose, like, people have kind of come around on that. Durant may never have that opportunity. Um, so I, I've always thought that, like, I, I'm with you. I think it shouldn't affect his overall, right? Like, he could be, he'll be, in my mind, unless he gets hurt, a top 10 player ever. He's that good. I mean, he's the second best he's been the second best player in the league for like in you know by by the time he's like in his mid-30s he'll have had a 10-year run of being the second best player in the league um i think the move to golden state prevented him from ever joining the greatest of all time conversation and i'm not saying he was like a lock to be in that conversation in the first place but among active players he's like far and away the best case i think going to golden state eliminated him from ever being in that conversation 
he'll forever be relegated to like tier two status. I think so. Which is still pretty damn good. No, it, it really is. But yeah, I think he's, the thing was he's, he's in that interesting tier of players where it's like, he's a, he's like a pure scorer. Mm-hmm. At least he kind of what, like he's turned his defense up a lot this year and he's passed really well. Um, and so I think if anything ends up, maybe him, if I, the thing that could take him from tier two to tier one is if he leaves, let's say he leaves golden state and he understands and he becomes a, he keeps the assists up to like, maybe, maybe he sets career high assists. Maybe he can average six assists per game. He continue averaging almost two blocks a game with maybe a steal mm-hmm. and continue shooting like, you know, 58% effective field goal percentage or whatever. Like if he turns into almost a LeBron type yeah. player, like complete like passer, ball handler, shot blocker, like because of his experience on the Warriors, yeah. I think that is what can take him to tier one. And I don't I think at that point it's easier for people to accept what happened in Golden State. Yeah. Because if he if he truly evolves as a player, then you're like, okay, this is almost what LeBron did. It just took it to this weird extreme level that we're all un- uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. But if he really evolves as a player and does, and you know learns how to get better and makes an actual leap in his game at age 30 or 31, I think that's significant. I think he has to go win a title somewhere else for to like to validate all that. Um, not necessarily OKC. I mean, if he wants to follow the LeBron <laughs> blueprint, go home and win a title in OKC, that, that would be the ultimate way to do it. But I think he... You know, even if they win four or five titles in a row, as long as Steph, Draymond, and Clay are there, there's always going to be the well. Yeah, you're supposed to win it. Yeah, you have three top fifteen players on your team. You know, like I'm not. I don't. I'm not saying he needs to go sign with the worst team in the league and lead them to a title. But I think, I think people are going to want him to at least win one when it's his team and his team alone. And that doesn't mean he has bad talent around him. But like, it's you know, all these titles are kind of split four ways for me you know, in terms of how good the Warriors core is and Durant, you know, hasn't been dominant enough to, to transcend that. Whereas I think when the, when the, when the heat won in 2012, you know, it was a unanimous finals MVP for LeBron. It was unbelievably clear that he was the reason they were there. And it was even more clear in, in 2013. And like, I, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get there with Durant, maybe Curry, you know, we'll take a step back at some point. Although after the other night, I don't think we're anywhere close to that point. No. Um, but I, th- I think I think people want to see him be the guy leading a team to a title. And like, even though he was Finals MVP last year, it still didn't quite feel that way. Or at least because I think it's I think it's pretty accepted now that you have to not have to, but having two. Nobody looks down. I don't think on anyone who wins a championship like a star who has one other star no. with them, or even two. But when you have three. Yeah, like, would you have looked down on Chris Paul or James Harden's championship any different had they won the whole thing? I not to me. It's like so if KD goes somewhere with one other superstar and does it, then I think his I think that's fine. Like doing the whole thing by yourself is clearly becoming unrealistic. No, in the modern NBA, that's not realistic. That's that's you can barely make the playoffs if you're by yourself. Like look at OKC. So I yeah I think it's a difference. Like let's say he I mean you could pick almost any team that has like he could maybe goes to. You know, you could say, oh, he goes to Indiana and plays with Victor Oladipo and wins a championship. Goes to no. Portland and Damian Lillard right. and CJ McCollum. It's like, well, then you can start talking about, like, mm-hmm. he didn't do this with the help of yep. other all-time. Like, Damian Lillard's really good. Like, I'm not going to, did know. the Did the Celtics, and this is getting into the point where, like, <clears throat> I was not, like, the closest follower of the NBA as, like, a freshman in high school. But, like, 
did the Celtics face this kind of criticism when they teamed up? I don't, I don't remember it being anywhere near the backlash that LeBron or KD got. And that was, um, you know, that was via trade and all that, but still. Those I don't, guys were a little older. I don't remember that being the case, but like like you said, it was like we I was relatively I wasn't like locked into like right. you know, reading long pieces by NBA writers and like NBA mm. Twitter wasn't as big back then. Like it's not as much of a echo chamber and right. people looking for hot takes as much as it is now. Yeah, I uh this is a good discussion. I, I still feel, don't feel like I, you know, I'm more confident one way or the other. I mean, it's, it really is going to be something where we, you know, we'll have to jot this down, make a note in your phone, set it for 20 years from now. <laughs> like, think about how we remember KD. Um, it's, it's, I just don't, you know, I mean, obviously how everything plays out for the Warriors is going to ultimately determine it. If they blow this series and lose to the Cavs in six, um, you know, this, <laughs> this is a drastically different discussion. Uh, but if we if we're to assume that things you know will keep going as they are, which I guess if the NBA's taught us anything, you know, like when the Heat won it in 2013, I never I was not like, hey, next summer, man, LeBron's back in Cleveland. You know, yeah. Who who the hell knows what's gonna go on? Um, but yeah, it's gonna be something that's very interesting to monitor. Do you have anything else? We're this is our longest pod in a while, so if you do, keep it quick. Uh, no, I got nothing. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com